Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by the co-hosts of the podcast Campfire, Tales of the Strange and Unsettling, Jordan Heath. Jordan, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you. I'm Man, I'm, I'm super psyched to be here. Yeah, man, the, you were highly requested, and I'm happy to have you on because, uh, like this this topic in particular, because like uh, I I dig the vibe that you guys have on your podcast. You cover a lot of strange things. You, you mm-hmm. just covered uh, the man from Torrid, which is a, it, it's a very it's a very interesting case. Um, but uh, yeah, man, this uh, we're in the spooky season now, and. Mm-hmm. We're talking about anomalous Bigfoot today, the Bigfoot that makes the hardcore Bigfoot researchers a little uneasy, a little unsettled, and, uh, you know, just uh, makes some, you know, kind of dismiss some of these reports. Like, these are the, the Bigfoots that, you know, maybe they show up in UFOs, and maybe they... Uh, can do odd things with their voices, change their voices, and and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, man, it's just an honor to have you on. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to talk about this because I mean it's one of my favorite subjects. First off, I'm about I'll just say right up top I'm about as far as you can get from the a flesh and blood or nuts mm-hmm. and bolts guy. It's that's just not my bag. I do. I mean, I have. Of course, because of what I do, I have no trouble suspending disbelief, right? Mm-hmm. So I have no trouble like living in the thought experiment of a flesh and blood Bigfoot for an hour. You know what I mean? But yeah. when it comes down to when you get down to brass tacks, I, I don't think I don't think that's the case. So I love these cases that, you know, those um, flesh and blood people like to sweep under the rug. Yeah. And for the flesh and blood folks, they are like it, it's like a deep love that they have for the subject so it's just yeah they they can't accept it any other way this is this mm-hmm. is what it is and um with um in the 1970s in particular we start to see bigfoot ufo kind of crossover people start to speculate a little bit more as like hey there's like a there's these odd cases that are being reported maybe there's some mixing and maybe you know maybe some of these bigfoot reports are something from someplace else and not you know dwelling here so like one of the earliest uh classification systems that i came across uh is from 1970 and it's uh it was devised by hayden c hughes he was uh, with the International UFO Bureau, I think, or um, something like that in the in in the United States. And mm-hmm. uh, Hal Crawford, who is a dynamite artist, um, he uh, they, they produced this a couple of like pamphlets uh, in in the seventies about um, like 
aliens and different alien types and UFOs and stuff. And his his art is just amazing. He's created some like really iconic pieces that are kind of just sticking around today. He created, um, I believe, I don't know if he created the the particular Momo sketch that people associate, which is, you know, the big furry, like completely covered um, hairy thing that has a big, huge rounded head and those glowing orange Mm -hmm. eyes. But uh, he he, I think he did create that. But um, in this particular pamphlet, um, they break things down into uh, different types of UFO occupants. Um, the first ones are kind of like uh, your usual h- human-looking ones. Second ones are a little less non-human, and the third ones are different. They're more closely related to like Bigfoot types. So um, for them, type three occupants. Uh, these are some of the characteristics they have not been widely reported uh since the ufo wave of the 1950s which is not true by the time that he publishes this because in 70 you know 71 72 73 74 we start to see more of those types so it's like yeah he kind of you know he was out in front of it a little bit but yeah, uh, he jumped the gun know, just a little bit but yeah. uh the type three occupants are those that kind of take on more of an what he calls an experimental animal type form. So uh, I think you would um, like some of your more unhinged, unusual kind of um, humanoids, not even necessarily humanoids, but like things that don't act like uh, an advanced alien would. So definitely a lot more animal-ish, they uh, possess large pumpkin-shaped heads, which uh, is definitely the case in in, in the many of these Bigfoot UFO cases. Um, they are, uh, you know, and one of my least favorite words, her suit. I hate it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they are generally unclothed. Um, a lot of the times, they have glowing eyes, though. Uh, in some of these cases, especially in the uh, like the Momo case and other the 70s cases, they don't their eyes don't really glow that much. Um, sometimes it looks like eye shine, but um, okay. generally described as bipedal, but can run on all fours and footprints usually resemble those of uh, bare human feet, only larger and with like kind of subtle variations. There's three toed footprints and stuff, but right. the heights vary to sometimes they're the smallest two feet tall and sometimes and sometimes they're like eight to nine feet tall. Um, and uh, one thing that they noticed that the violence that these beings can display towards humans, they have been known to be aggressive in many okay. cases, uh, especially with uh, some of the Venezuelan cases that we're going to cover here, because, um, yeah, things were getting out of hand yeah. in Venezuela in the 50s. <laughs> yeah. Um, South America has a pretty violent streak when it comes to all mm-hmm. these anomalous cases that you hear down there, especially in the 70s and 80s. It's yeah. I don't know if it's like a cultural thing, but right there. It's some of those are brutal. 
Yeah, between yeah, between UFOs and these uh, some of these humanoids, it's just like, uh, what did those people do to deserve this? Because yeah. it's intense. It's way too intense. But um, interesting. One of the earliest cases of kind of a UFO Bigfoot type thing, an anomalous Bigfoot, uh, goes back uh, to about 1912 uh, near Gallipolis, Ohio, which you know is uh, was very big in the Mothman stuff. That was one yeah. of the hotspots. Uh, a man and his mother were out berry picking when they saw like a strange dark cloud that was hovering over them and it followed them into a wood, presumably above treetops. And as they walked on, they saw a quote monster walking parallel with them, which is something that a lot of, um, you know, Bigfoot uh, and witnesses describe as like, Hey, there's something walking alongside me. Not cool, but you know, yeah, it's almost like a stalking behavior. It is, right. it, yeah. which, you know, gets into that animalistic type uh, uh, attitude of, yeah, I'm just kind of sizing you up here right now. We, yeah, we might jump at it. We might not. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was dark in color, had really wide, bulky shoulders, uh, bulky head, no visible neck because, um, you know, Bigfoot really works out, you know. Sure. Yeah. Huge traps. Yeah. Oh, he's got yeah. traps galore. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And um the uh the woman that was there screamed, let's go, and and she saw the monster look at them and it kind of made some like growling, barking noise. And uh they had covered about a about a a hundred yards, looked back and it was gone. And Interestingly enough, about 45 years um, after that, August 21st, 1955, um, it's near the place is the Ohio River near Dogtown, Indiana, where Mrs. Darwin Johnson was swimming and suddenly Mm. a fur hand with claws grabbed her knee and pulled her down. She escaped by struggling and making a noise by uh, hitting out in in a, an inner tube that uh, held, was held by a friend who was with her. And for several days, a green palm outline could be seen on her leg. And when the incident was reported yeah. in the press, several people claimed to have seen a shiny oval over the river at the time of the attack. So um, we've either yeah. got, you know, Bigfoot wading through water or the creature from the black lagoon is uh, <laughs> making an appearance here <laughs> yeah the uh the green clawed beast right i'm yep. see i'm from indiana so i'm very familiar with 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 these the um that actually took place really i think it was like less than 500 yards up the river from where they saw the uh mud mermaids oh, in the wow yeah, yeah in the 60s it's like real close like you can see one spot from the other um, that's that's wild that is yeah. that is wild so something about that area just happens to be you know it just yeah. brings them in um, that one one thing i wanted to say about that first case that you read the the dark cloud that they see at the beginning mm-hmm. really caught my attention like the fact that they they connected that to what then mm-hmm. happened with the creature in the woods like you i mean I wonder if that's like equivalent to seeing a to seeing a craft, right? Right. Um, it's very that's very like that's a very um, sort of whimsical version 
you know, it, to just see a, a, a cloud. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it sticks out because it, the ability to recognize that, like, hey, there's something off about that cloud. Like, what's yeah. going on with that? Yeah, that is that is you're absolutely right there. Um, and it, it definitely feeds into that kind of. Uh, almost like a fey kind of anomalous type thing yeah. of, of, of something of that nature in the way that it sticks out. And um, now we get into the, the hairy dwarves as they were dubbed in of Venezuela, mm-hmm. 1954. Um, there was a huge flat going on in France, Italy, uh, in Brazil, also too around this uh, around this time but uh towards um the end of the year and particularly november uh there started to come these reports of short little hairy humanoid beings glowing yellow eyes and they were rather aggressive uh some people ended up going to the hospital and and some of these cases and some people were brave enough to try to capture these things, but you know, <laughs> bigger man than me. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. uh, these were first reported, uh, in the States in the April bulletin in November, 1954, November 28th at 2 AM, Gustavo Gonzalez, uh, he's a truck driver and his helper, Jose Ponce, they set out uh, from Patar, headed to purchase some uh, foodstuffs from local markets, and they would uh, uh, deliver them uh, every day. And they were nearing a sausage factory. And man, sausage factories—they just—they just bring the weirdest. They bring the weirdest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're they're such a strange setting. It is like the moment you read near a sausage factory is like. <laughs> We're living in the real world. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you can imagine the smell, the pungent smell in the air during all this. Yeah. And what kind of creatures would that smell bring in? Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, their vehicle was stopped in the middle of the road by this kind of luminous sphere. It's uh, it's not entirely huge. It's eight to ten feet in diameter. It's kind of hovering about six feet above the road and uh gonzalez and ponce they exit their vehicle and they're kind of surprised by the short figure he's about uh, close to three feet tall was completely covered in the stiff black hair and gonzalez approached the hairy figure with the intent to capture them both men pushed the humanoid to the ground and gonzalez attempted to wrestle with him he was he was he was gonna bring him in he was gonna kidnap this like weird alien that he that he found and uh the one thing is that this figure was very light uh and its hair was very hard he couldn't really kind of keep his grip on him so that's such an odd description yeah like his hair was hard like i wonder if they mean it's like standing on end and it's like i don't know like rough on their hands i i'm assuming it's more like a like a bristly type of hair okay Um, maybe kind of like um if you like use like a a brush made of like horse hair or something like that it's a little more stiff so i assume it's it's kind of like that a little more rough on the 
on the hands, but just like also slick enough so you couldn't really uh, sure hold on to it. So I have to say, kind of rude. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of they're kind of rude to this thing. <laughs> like, yeah, they see it and just tackle it. Exactly. Like, did they initiate? All of this violence is yeah. it all on these two guys, but um, no. Hey, how you doing? Nothing. No. They just that looks weird. Get it? No. Uh, but uh, this little figure ends up throwing Gonzalez back a little bit uh, <laughs> after you know he slips away, and there are two other figures that emerge from the bushes, and that was when Ponce abandoned his coworker and just ran yeah. away. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Good on Ponce. <laughs> yeah. So the humanoid that had thrown Gonzalez turned around, and that's when he noticed he had these claws, and his eyes were starting to glow, and he starts approaching them. So Gonzalez, he pulls out a knife. He's not having it. And he starts stabbing at the being. We just found that the knife just slid off the hair. He couldn't get through it at all. And oh man, yeah, it's just not good for him. And um, yeah, I have a feeling those claws aren't going to slide off Gonzalez. No, and <laughs> that was that was when uh, another creature comes out of this spherical object and he's holding a tube, and he shot and he hits Gonzalez with a ray of light. And it blinds them temporarily and all the creatures jump into their sphere, which shot up into the air. And Ponce uh, ran to the traffic inspector's office and he summoned him to the scene, but he didn't believe him. He just uh, he's just like, yeah, you guys are drunk. What the hell are you yeah. doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair reaction. Yeah. That's a pretty wild story. It is. Uh, but interestingly, both men went to the hospital. They received sedatives. Uh, and uh, Gonzalez had some pretty deep scratches on his side from this thing. So uh, there's some interesting kind of wounds here. And uh, yeah. there, there does seem to be some kind of um, uh, shock that they're dealing with. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's the beginning of kind of um, a series of these sightings. Uh, and when it gets reported, there's another man who comes forward and tells the story that uh, he was on his lunch break on the 4th of November with a few other indigenous people that he was working with. And they saw this luminous sphere suspended off the ground, very similar to what they had seen. And from the moment they saw it, uh, his indigenous companions are like, yeah, we're, we're going to take some refuge behind some rocks and stuff. We're not we're not standing around for this. Uh, yeah. The unnamed man looked on in terror's three short figures would just kind of keep making trips back and forth, depositing dirt into their object. Like, you know, your typical surveillance, you know, your typical uh, retrieval, like they're all interested in dirt, you know, it's, it's collecting samples. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, yeah. I want... I want the story of the, you know, alien kleptomaniac who is going around breaking into houses and just like taking trophies and stuff. I want that story. Right. Stealing like silverware and hair ties yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Just random nonsensical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. One of each of your socks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like that kind of nuisance that, that will throw a wrench in your, in your plans and, uh, yeah. In the next subsequent issue, uh, which is uh, published in 1955, the April Bulletin, 
that's when they're officially dubbed the Hairy Dwarves. And there's this narrative built into this because at around this time, Dwight D. Eisenhower goes on and says, oh, UFOs aren't real. You know, they're not real. They're just in in your imagination and the viewer. And like, they're very uh, snarky about it in there. And they kind of use the example of these Venezuelan cases as like, uh, well, you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower says it's all in their imagination, but they keep seeing it, which is great. I, I love that. I, yeah. <laughs> I I mean, anyone familiar with Eisenhower would not be shocked that he was no philosopher. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the fact that he says they're not real, they're in the experiencer's head. I'm like, that is not mutually exclusive. Right. <laughs> like one does not lead to the other. It can be real and in your head. Um, right. But, you know, it's Eisenhower was a military guy. He was no nonsense. So mm-hmm. that's yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And it's always interesting because he's, you know, always seen as the guy who signed the treaty. And it's like, well, he's the military guy. Of course, yeah. of course he signed the treaty. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. he would never start a war against the I mean that's a that's a nice mirror image of kind of what goes on with disclosure now how like the the whole angle is that it's some some national defense crisis and that's why we should be paying attention yes exactly exactly so uh you know they couple this Dwight D. Eisenhower narrative with a man named Jesus Paz and two of his friends were returning from a restaurant and they were nearing uh, the it's called Exposition Park. And this is a, it's a park that's run by the Ministry of Agriculture. And he stops the car so he can urinate behind some bushes, which, you know, he wasn't expecting anything to happen. And <laughs> yeah. he hadn't gone long before, you know, his friends in the cars heard this piercing scream. So. They run out, they go to the place where he entered the bush and they found their friend lying on the ground. He's unconscious and there's a hairy dwarf running away from the scene toward a flat, shiny object that hovered uh, just slightly above the ground. And one of his companions was a member of the National Guard. So he instinctively wanted to reach for his pistol. But he realized he didn't have it on it, so he started hucking uh, some rocks at this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Second best option. Yeah, rocks. Uh, you know, pelting the UFO. Of course, it didn't really do anything to it. But, uh, sure. you know, object rose up into the air, making a buzz, and then it disappears as UFOs are wont to do. And Paz was later found to be suffering from severe shock. And he had... Uh, like uh, Gonzalez, several deep scratches on his right side and also down his back. So, okay, uh, I'm just wondering, did he urinate on this dwarf? You know, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the obvious question, right? You have to ask because mm-hmm. if so, I think he may have deserved what happened. Yes, uh, I, I, yeah, I can understand being upset. Uh, absolutely. Our, are we to assume that the the scream that the his friends hear is their friend or that it's some like animalistic scream they're hearing from the you know from what attacked him? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's from the hairy dwarf cuz um yeah, you're 
I, I'm sure it might have blended in because, you know, it's night, may not be able to see it. So it blended in sure. with the bushes and he just peed on it. It's uh, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> that's, that's a problem you only run into if you're two feet tall. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you know, people are looking down, but they're. These you know these days they're looking at their phones so watch <laughs> out true. you may end up you know peeing on one of these hairy dwarfs. Six days before that encounter, uh, two hunters, Lorenzo Flores and Jesus Gomez, they were traveling near Chico, Venezuela, when they thought they saw a car off the highway. When they neared it. It turned out to be an object described as like two wash bowls placed on top of one another. You know, it's hovering a little above the ground, about nine feet in diameter. So like all these objects are roughly about the same with the exception of the one flat object. But there's four short beings, roughly three feet tall. They emerged from the object, got hair just all over them. And they captured Jesus Gomez and they start to drag him towards their object. So Flores took up a gun and he starts to hit the beings with the butt of his rifle. And he noticed that the blows made it seem like he had struck like almost like a rock or something like that. Um, More solid, less like less organic. So um, eventually these humanoids abandon their objective uh they they leave the two men there their shirts are just torn to shreds or scratches bruises all over their body and they told the local police everything and that same evening in floresta a doctor from caracas uh, along with his father saw two little men run across the road into some bushes so they're making the rounds. Uh, they're going all wow. over the place. Um, I, lo- I love that their crafts are proportional in size. Yes. That, to them. Like small beings, small crafts, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. They don't, they don't. It just has a nice little bow on it. It does. They don't need anything, you know, too large. It's just uh, convenient enough for them. Yeah. You can imagine it's just like a small split off from a larger craft, maybe, that's just coming down to survey a little area and then goes back up, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just, uh, you know, just right enough for what they need. And I and I appreciate yeah. I appreciate that level of efficiency, you know. Yeah. Minimalist, minimalist yeah. approach to craft building. Exactly. Uh, one of the last reports is from an 18 year old jockey named Jose Pada. Uh, He's from Valencia and he was doing some road work near a cement factory and he was doing it to lose weight, you know, because you're a jockey. You got to you got to stay slim. You got to stay fit. You got to you got to do what you got to do. So these six short hairy men startled Parda uh, as they were moving boulders from the side of the road onto their craft. And it's like, are they upstaging him? Are they out here just being like, <laughs> really, bro? We could, we got this. I can handle this. Right. <laughs> oh, man. And also, like, who but a jockey could possibly be jealous of their size? Right? Exactly. He's, exactly. I mean, he was probably thinking if these guys shaved down to get a little more aerodynamic, they could probably be the best jockeys 
in the galaxy. Exactly. Like, Pata could have been a coach here. And yeah. really, like, uh, they could have won races. I can see yeah, it now. They, they could have changed the horse racing game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Pata, he, he starts to run for it. And that's when one of the creatures points an object to at him, shoots a violet light, and he's frozen. He's immobilized. He can't move. And that's when these hairy dwarves run to their ship and it disappears into the night sky. But, like, the dude's running away. I don't think he needed to. Like, that just seems to be a little extra that was unnecessary. He didn't need that. He yeah. was running. I... See, I, I love these old articles, these old reports, but like I want interviews with these people so badly. Yes. Yes. Like I would love to ask, are you were you frozen in like mid motion or did right. you like hit the ground and couldn't get up? Because that's two very different things. Right. Mm -hmm. Like because instantly I picture like some classic classic series Doctor Who stuff where they're like where he's like stuck in mid step. Yes. You know. And no. that's probably not what he meant, right? But I, I like to think it's that that's what happened. Like, I I can't not see it in my head for every encounter that anybody has ever said, oh, I couldn't move. Um, Yeah, did you just, like, kind of put down your legs and, like, you know, just stand yeah. there or what? Because yeah. I'm forever going to be startled by that that kind of particular fact, but... Um, yeah, that's, um, man. I mean, cause if they're, if he's laying on the ground and he can't move while they're near him, I can't help but relate that to like the phenomenon of sleep paralysis. Right. Right. Like yep. the idea of just laying there frozen while the, and then once the being's gone, then you can move again suddenly. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They maybe, uh, if you, if you have experienced the hairy dwarf syndrome during your sleep paralysis, let us know. <laughs> Get in contact. Yeah. We need to know. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so we moved to 1960. And this is one of my favorite reports of all time. And it occurs in the Monongahela National Forest near Marlinton, West Virginia. It's 1960. W.C. Doc Priestley was driving behind a group of friends in a bus when an eight-foot-tall, huge, hulking, ape-like, quote, monster with long hair standing straight up. So this guy is having a bad hair day. It <laughs> appears at the roadside. And right before the creature appeared, his car engine died suddenly, which is very strange. Quote, I don't know how long I sat there until the boys missed me and backed up the bus to where I was. It seemed the monster was very much afraid of the bus and dropped his hair. And to my surprise, as soon as he did this, my car started to run again. I didn't tell the boys what I had seen. The thing took off when the bus started. So this is a case in which a Bigfoot was able to disable a car by lifting up its hair. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it afraid of the bus? That Like, I'm wondering if it couldn't disable the bus for some reason, like... You know, only it only works on certain types of motors, you know, <laughs> or maybe um, maybe it was a one or the other thing. Right. Like it didn't have enough power to stop both simultaneously. Right. So, you know, and this is the bigger of the two. And 
That's, sure. It, it could it could do some serious damage, but um, yeah. So this Bigfoot puts down a tear. The bus backs up. The the Bigfoot backs off again. And they continue on their journey. But soon after, his car sputters to a stop again. Quote, I could see sparks flying from under the hood of my car as if I had a very bad short. And sure enough, there beside the road stood the monster again. The points were completely burned out of my car. Oh, man. This is like an actual like mechanical effect. Yes. That it has. That's interesting to see the sparks like he he saw the damage happening. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting uh, here because the Bigfoot isn't stepping out of the UFO. The Bigfoot is the UFO in this case. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that reminds me of all the, um, you know, the whole concept of like biological, that UFOs are, mm -hmm. are biological in the first place. Right. Um, but yeah, that's crazy. The Bigfoot is the UFO. Yep. You're right. Cause that, you know, that's a. That's a pretty common thing with UFOs, like the car stalls and yeah. Yeah. But this car probably, this motor probably never came back from this. Yeah. It burnt all the points out. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, uh, he's going to need some, uh, work in the shop, but, uh, thankfully Hopefully the bus came back for him the second time too. Yes. Thankfully the bus came <laughs> back and the Bigfoot creature ran off, uh, for good that time, but it's just, it's a wild ass story. It's just yeah, so great. It really is. Yeah. I think the, the moral probably is if you're in West Virginia and you're afraid of running into a Bigfoot, only drive buses. Yes. Uh, yeah. We're, <laughs> no cars. We're uh, probably going to uh, inspire people to drive buses from now on yeah. down there. It's yeah. going to be a huge bus craze in West Virginia after this. <laughs> yeah. I like this, <laughs> this episode's going to blow up. It's going to become a cultural thing. And now yep. I will be responsible for buses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I get also though, if you're, if it is like, if it were, if it were a biological creature, that's sort of walking the side of the road. You would probably avoid bigger vehicles yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Would, um, yeah, especially like yeah for an animal. Um, yeah, definitely would avoid those bigger vehicles for sure. Like you know, even uh, if you're looking at it as uh, a predator or something, that's huge. That could take you out, no problem. Yeah, car, absolutely. Maybe I could deal with a car. Maybe. Sure. Uh, if especially a if you have some crazy ass telepathic powers to you know affect. Mm -hmm affect the engine exactly exactly um we're gonna we're gonna briefly touch on the presque isle park incident because it is important in terms of um the fact that it's likely a bigfoot type creature that was seen but uh, given that it was only a silhouette granted it, mm. the silhouette was beefy it was broad yeah. like crazy but uh we did cover it on an episode 110 so we'll briefly run it down but um there were four adults gerald labelle betty jean clem anita hayfley and doug tibbetts along with two children uh they were having a picnic on at beach number six on presque isle which is in erie pennsylvania and they're about to leave when they realize that they had drove too far in the sand 
and couldn't get their vehicle out. So Gerald LaBelle decides to go off and uh, try and find some help. And a short while later, a couple of uh, police officers show up uh, to see, uh, you know, what's going on, if they can offer assistance. And that's when they see this kind of uh, object appear in the sky. They describe it as kind of square or hexagonal shaped. Uh, and it's making these erratic movements, but it uh, eventually comes down and settles down about 10 feet above the beach, 400 yards away from them. And these lights shoot out from the bottom as if it's scanning for something, as if it's, you know, making sure that it can land there. And then the object settles onto the sand and it starts, do, you know, doing this kind of laser light show and casting it in the woods. It's pretty cool to look at. Um, so the uh, Doug Tibbetts, he's like, hey, that's weird. We should go take a look at it. So. He walks over there with a couple of the police officers and when um, the uh, cops shut off their car, turn off the lights, that's when the lights of the object just go out. So they go out there, they go and, and, and check out what's going on. And right next to where Betty Jean is sitting in the car, she looks and sees the silhouette of a tall broad humanoid figure standing right there it's not really making any sounds or anything like that but it's just like it's there and she can see it uh, mm -hmm. maybe dark but it sticks out and she blares the horn and the creature backs off in several moments oh, so she sees it move yes she does okay she, she does see it move like they described at one point as if the animal was walking around the car to see what it was and what was what was going on. And uh, after she slams on the horn, that's when it backs off. But that's also when the UFO just kind of shoots up into the night sky. And uh, what's interesting is that there were other incidents uh, in Erie of sightings of strange kind of Bigfoot-like creatures and one from a woman who claimed to see one like moving in a robotic manner, which is sometimes reported with some of these. So like, uh, yeah, in 66, Erie PA had the weird Bigfoot UFO stuff going on. Yeah, that's you know, what that reminds me of is the uh, the Dune Devil mm -hmm. in um, northern Indiana up in the the dunes by Lake Michigan, they see this like sort of hulking silhouette with glowing eyes. Um, very similar. Yeah. I, and I know there are tons of UFO sightings over Lake Michigan all the time. So, you know, it's pretty easy to connect, connect those two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it definitely fits the pattern of this anomalous Bigfoot. Um, yeah. Uh, next we move to 1969. Uh, Rising Sun, Indiana. Uh, there's a nearby, it, it's a nearby ridge, Rising Sun, Indiana. Uh, it's a location of a number of sightings of anomalous lights in May of 1969. And on the evening of May 18th, residents experienced a power blackout in town for about two hours. There was no clear sign that UFOs were responsible, but, you know, UFO activity was prevalent in the area, so... Sure. Uh, the next day, 
George Kaiser was walking through his, uh, the, his farmyard toward a tractor. Uh, from 25 feet away, there's this peculiar figure that's bent over. Quote, I watched it for about two minutes before it saw me. It stood in a fairly upright position, although it was bent over about in the middle of its back with arms about the same height as a normal human being. I'd say it was about 5'8 or so, and it had a very muscular structure. The head sat directly on the shoulders, and the face was black. The hair that's, that stuck out on the back of its head. It had eyes set close together and a very short forehead. It was covered with hair except for the back of the hands and face. And the hands looked like normal hands, not claws, end quote. And upon seeing him... The being made a grunting sound and ran away, it leaps over a ditch in the process. And there are plaster casts of the prints, you know, made and they show the, the infamous three toed footprints, which are really interesting to look at because the toes just look huge. They're yeah. ginormous. Um, right. It's like a Ninja Turtles bad guy. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so. Are these are these the two toes in the front, one in the back, or is it three forward toes? Three forward toes, and they're okay. kind of spread out a little bit. So, gotcha. Um, they got a little flexibility in those toes. They may be large, but uh, they can manipulate them a little bit. But uh, yeah, uh, the following night around ten fifteen p.m., uh, Charles Rolfing uh, did observe a UFO in the area for about eight minutes. It was kind of a greenish white object, but uh, those connections, they're there. They're, they're just hanging out there. Um, and a year later, uh, we've got a case from Washington, which is kind of interesting that we haven't had a lot of Washington cases, UFO yeah. Bigfoot, since it's the UFO Mecca in or the Bigfoot <laughs> Mecca in the United States, it's uh, where most sightings come from, and um, there there's a there's repeat uh, kind of encounters in this particular case. So December fourth, nineteen seventy, uh, the children of Miss Wallace Bowers they called her uh, call her mother outside to look at some strange tracks in the snow, and they were huge. Uh, sinking not just into the snow, but they pushed down into the gravel uh, about an inch and a half is what they noticed. Yeah, so this thing is pretty large. And mm -hmm. Mrs. Bowers called the sheriff's office and Sheriff William Weister, the deputy, and uh, about five state patrol cars were sent to investigate this, which seems like overkill to me. <laughs> it seems like a lot. Yeah. It seems like this may have been an issue they were already aware of. Yes. Yeah. Like maybe they've yeah. been getting reports of something out there. So uh, these footprints are large. They're 15 inches long, about six inches oh. wide. So pretty, pretty big. Yeah. And that's big even for Pacific Northwest Bigfoot. Yes. That's yeah, that's big. Yeah. And Mrs. Bowers... Uh, recalled that the night before her dog had been acting like very weird. They ended up seeing and, and hearing some like grunting sounds um, the night before, which um, 
you know, is uh, it seems to be connected to the um, to Bigfoot. There's there's often grunting and odd sounds, mm-hmm. but uh, and pets uh, getting skittish and acting yeah. bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on on this next night, interestingly enough, Charles Rolfing observes a greenish white object for for about for about eight minutes. Um, okay. So we we've got that interesting stuff st- stuff going on. Um, three days later, at around seven fifteen a.m., Corey Bowers called his mother to look out the dining room window, and together they observed a bright yellow, orange-colored dome saucer-shaped object angling up over the nearby power lines. As we watched it for approximately five minutes, it seemed to uh, stop over the power lines located a half mile from us. Then it moved very fast into the eastern sky. And they described it kind of like a Christmas ball with rays of light and circular motion around the dome. And as the UFO stopped over the power lines, it started to change color. That's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, you you have that one coffee mug, you put something warm in it and some changes yeah. on it. It's kind of like that deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh I I wonder if cuz what year is this again? 1970? Yep. I wonder if if out there in the Pacific Northwest if like power lines, obviously now power lines are ubiquitous, they're everywhere, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's not a big deal, but if this area had just had a couple concentrated places where power lines were running yeah you know because you often hear stories of ufos you know buzzing around power plants and you know sources of of energy right Mm -hmm. so i i i just thought that because them actually like making note of them of the craft stopping right over the power lines then the color changes like maybe it pull it's pulling in some power or you know, sampling it. Right. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, it makes you wonder, like, what is, um, it's gotta be drawing something off of it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, especially with the color change, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's cool here is, uh, Mrs. Bowers has an intercom in her house. So yeah. during this sighting, she switches it on. And there's like the sharp sound that starts to come out of it that she'd never heard before. So, uh, you know, UFOs measuring with messing with house intercoms while while this is all going on. Yeah. Um, and later that night, uh, Alice Hoven and Pat McCollum, they reported to the Lewis County Sheriff's Office that they'd seen this like flashing blue light pass over their trailer um and McCollum proceeded to fire three shots at the object for some reason, you know. <laughs> Man, I I'll never understand the uh, man, <laughs> the ego it takes or like, you know, the confidence that people have to just like, hey, I'm feeling a little froggy. I might start an intergalactic war tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, you know, Uh, bold, a little too bold, might want to step that back a little bit because, uh, you know, 
we don't need it. Like we've seen, we've seen War of the Worlds. We've seen Independence Day. We've seen Independence sure. Day. Like we've seen it. We we don't need to live it. We've seen it. That's fine. We don't need to live it. Mm. So yeah. Later that week, another startling incident would occur inside the home of Mrs. Bowers. So while loading a log into the living room fireplace, she saw the curtains moving inside her children's bedroom. All of the children were in the living room with me, and all I could think of was getting them safely out of there. So I loaded them into the car and we left, but I definitely saw a shape in the bedroom as we drove away. I feel sure that was probably a prowler. We've had trouble in our neighborhood, and I don't think it's related to the others, but the footprints in the saucer, I don't know. So that's... That's ah, that's just unsettling. Um, yeah, that's a bizarre confluence of of incidents, yeah, right? Yeah. Like if you're dealing with all that stuff, the footprints, the saucer sightings, all that, and then you get a prowler on the third night, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's an unfortunate series of events. It's that's a problem. Uh, that's yeah. a big problem. But uh, yeah, um, she came home with her husband a little bit later on, and what they found is that every bedroom had been rummaged through, but nothing was taken. Okay. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that does sound more like human activity, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But who breaks into a house while everyone's just up hanging out in the living room? Right. You know, that seems kind of odd. Mm-hmm. It's, you'd think if it was a prowler, that would be something that would happen in the middle of the night. Right. You know, when everyone's in bed. Or Yeah, that's weird. It's very I don't weird. know what to think about that. Yeah. According to Mrs. Bowers, quote, I have talked with many in this area that have seen the UFO and even the Bigfoot while out fishing and hunting. Their reasons for not reporting range from no one would believe them to people would think that we were hitting the bottle. Yeah. 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 Classic. Yeah. Um, additional footprints. These ones were like 16 inches long, averaging... God. A 50-inch stride. Uh, they were found in a grain field. And at the community dump in Arden, Washington, about two months later. And in the summer of 1971, five large footprints were discovered in Mrs. Bauer's garden. Uh, investigators traced them from the garden to the house. And these ones measured about 18 inches long. Man, these are big footprints. Mm-hmm. Very big. That's that's scary. Yeah. Like you imagine finding footprints that size. You feel like you're in a damn King Kong movie or something. I mean, that's big. Yeah. It's big. It's scary. And I don't want anything yeah. to do with it. I'm into it. No. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. We, we start to enter the seventies and UFO research and, like I mentioned before, there's this line of thinking in UFOs, and you see it in articles by Jerome Clark, uh, Janet and Colin Board, um, uh, Lauren Coleman, and, and a few other researchers that start to really pontificate, hey, is this dude, these big, tall, hairy humanoids, are they possibly related to, uh, you know, all this... Uh, 
uh, UFO activity and stuff. Um, according yeah. to an article by Jerome Clark, uh, in 1970, Illinois underwent a prolonged anthropoid scare complicated by repeated stories of large mysterious felines allegedly seen in some of the same areas oklahomans in late 1970 and 1971 were running into ape-like beasts sometimes encountered in populated areas like the city of lawton and during 1971 anthropoids appeared in missouri california florida and other states so bigfoot's just like coming in hot in this decade yeah just really i think mm. i think a lot of that a lot of that comes from the fact that also in the early 70s that's when a lot of the um a lot of these conventions started intermingling yes yeah a lot of the people who researched bigfoot started actually getting a chance to have conversations with people in ufology and they started like they finally got to start comparing notes you know right like uh, yeah. Ivan Sanderson, for instance, really started yes. to uh, he wrote a couple of books about UFOs and they're classics. If you can get your hands on them, they're they're absolute classics. Mm. And yeah, like his relationship with John Keel, you can see how it affected his own writing and stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you do see um, the zoologists and the ufologists come together in, yeah. in uh, you know, beautiful glory. Um, it would be another like 30 years before they started inviting, you know, the paranormal people in to chat with them as well. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them are still resisting. Definitely yeah. still resisting to this day, uh, downplaying <laughs> yep. the, uh, and to be fair, like the, a lot of the paranormal aspects of it aren't, uh, reported as much, but you know, yeah, you kind of have to wonder. I mean, they're, they're also easily confused. Yeah. You know, it's there's a lot of crossover. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's one one think piece kind of from the uh, Canadian UFO report that has some interesting quotes to it. Um, As if to emphasize this story, investigators have turned up a report of a similar creature, which was sighted in Turkey on the night of May 14th, 1964. On that night, uh, Izmir Bay had been driving along the road near a railroad track when he and his wife sighted a spinning disc the size of a house plummeting out of the sky. As Izmir and his wife sat stunned, the disc crashed and burst, burst into flames. Instants later, a huge hairy creature leaped out of the wrecked disc and dashed for safety. It ran straight toward the base. And attempting to protect his wife, the husband flung him uh, and with savage strength pounded him into insensibility and flung him near the railroad tracks then it ran off to hide in the woods yeti sasquatch call it whatever you will whether they come from space or from our own primeval past these creatures are still with us <laughs> man that is one hell of an encounter yes yeah you have a, a saucer the size of a house crashing in front of you mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that alone would be an epic sight, right? Yeah. And then this guy, what was the quote? Pummels it to it to insensibility. Yes. Yeah. That's that's some language. Yeah. You you uh, don't uh, want to be meeting <laughs> that. Like it's angry no. already. It's out of uh, it's UFO crashing in the ground. You don't want to be yeah. messing with it. So yeah, this is. Man. Yeah, I feel bad. I feel bad for him. <laughs> yeah. 
so the whole Bigfoot UFO thing really starts to its connection grows exponentially in 72 with the appearance of Momo, uh, other yeah. anomalous Bigfoot stuff, Indiana, Pennsylvania. And I'm going to be covering that on next week's episode. Uh, we're going to be going diving deep into that. But um, we're going to fast forward to 1973 because 1973 Ooh. is important. Yeah. It has some of the strangest anomalous Bigfoot encounters, including the strangest one, which is the um, if you've watched uh, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, they call it the Fayette mm-hmm. County uh, encounter. Yeah. Um, I, I 73 was genuinely like a banner year for high strangeness. It was. It was all over the world. It was. It was the year of the humanoids. Um, yeah. It's uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in 73. And um, in Pennsylvania, the UFOs uh, and Bigfoots were. Uh, and, and the thing is, is, uh, you know, Stan Gordon with the Westmoreland County UFO study group. These guys, yeah, they you know, they formed to study UFOs and then they're like, uh, we keep getting calls about these Bigfoots. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh Stan gave a presentation at the nineteen seventy four MUFON UFO symposium and uh this kind of sums up this whole anomalous Bigfoot thing really well. Um beginning at the end of July nineteen seventy three and continuing up to the present time the most unusual 14 events that I have ever become involved in during my 14 years in the field have taken place. What I'm about to relate has all been documented and can be backed up by various types of evidence. Many of the incidents that follow are quite bizarre and sound as though they have been taken out of the pages of a science fiction novel. Unfortunately, this is not the case. I have contemplated with myself many times whether or not to make these facts known at a scientific conference. In the past, several ufologists spoke out on unusual incidents that befell them during their involvement in the UFO field. Some of these researchers told of invisible entities that disturbed them in their households. Others complained of mysterious visitors, better known as the so-called men in black, who threatened their lives if they didn't give up their research. Still... Others told of poltergeists and other types of psychic phenomena that was accompanied by strong sulfur-like smell. Many serious ufologists probably read the reports with interest, but most of us, including myself, probably didn't take the incidents seriously. Of course, many of these reports were probably nothing more than exaggerated stories, but what if some of them were true? I would still be very doubtful of these reports had it not been for the events that have occurred since the past summer. Until I personally became involved in the investigations of many unusual cases during this most bizarre flap, I was quite skeptical of the reality of these reports. What was most convincing to me was the fact that numerous witnesses in a large geographical area reported identical confrontations with various types of unexplained phenomenon. The majority of the witnesses had no previous interest in UFOs or the occult, and in fact, most of them were hardcore skeptics until they had personal experiences. The cases uncovered present definite indications that we are dealing with an intelligence that is far superior to ours, both in technology and in the knowledge of the human mind. 
This data is being presented with the hope that scientific ufologists will emerge from their shells and take a detailed look into all aspects of UFOs, no matter how strange the facts might be. This could this could very Preach. well be the most important <laughs> data ever collected on the subject. End quote. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, he was up there in 74 saying that. Yes. Like, man. If only we'd listened. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like uh, Stan didn't want to be the Bigfoot UFO guy that he is now. Yeah. Um, he's still collecting a lot of these reports even today. Uh, you know, he's writing about the same like UFOs, similar UFOs that were seen in 73 that are still seen in the same counties and same areas today. Yeah. Um, but so weird also to mm, hear him say in the quote in his 14 years, because yeah. I think of him as like, you know, obviously now his career is much longer, but like I have he was still fairly like he was a decade and a half in. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it really didn't take long for him to to get the the experiences that convinced him. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I always like to see a conversion too. That's always really convincing to see someone who was just adamantly against it. And then they, they come across something so convincing that they just can't, you know, it's undeniable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it changes you fundamentally to your core. It yep. rewrites what your mind considers what a UFO is. So yeah, yeah, this is, this is a, a flap to test anybody. And yeah, um, even in 72, there were some incidences that were just kind of out of the norm. But um, with these particular reports, uh, this is above and beyond. So the earliest report from that year comes from Sykesville, Maryland uh, in May, uh, where a, a UFO flashing red lights was seen descending near a reservoir and for weeks following the sightings, multiple witnesses told of an eight-foot-tall monster with big, luminous eyes in the area. And some witnesses shot at the creature from just 20 feet away. And when they did, it just disappeared. It, you know. Man. Yeah. Just vanish. Yeah. I want more details. Exactly. I hate those words. I always hate disappear and vanish because it's so easy for someone to use that when what they mean is they look down and when they look back, it was gone. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Cause if they took a shot and as the bullet goes through the thing, it, it evaporates into the air. Mm -hmm. That's a completely different thing. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. I just would love to, I'd love to know. Yeah. And, and that definitely comes down to how people um, interpret that kind of phenomenon. Like, yeah. Um, it just wasn't there anymore. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. yeah. Um, the the Bigfoot activity in Pennsylvania was preceded by UFO sightings throughout the state going back to about February. Uh, February 10th, two objects were reported in Manor at around 2 a.m. One hovered in the sky while there was uh, one hovering like just above some railroad tracks and the next night in West Point, a woman reported a spherical red object with a depression on top 
that made a quote bumping sound. Like, what is that? Like, like I yeah. can I can pick I can hear it in my head, but it's just like, <laughs> um, what? No. I imagine like really maybe it's just growing up in the early two thousands, but when I hear that the craft made a bumping sound, I hear like really loud bass from a car. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> dudes driving around with the bass tape in, in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ridiculous. There's like a, a large range of craft descriptions yes. too in all these. Yes. And and one craft description that keeps coming up over and over again, there are two. Uh, and these are something that uh, Stan Gordon kind of really noted. One is um, like miniature balls of light. Witnesses keep seeing them. They keep just kind of appearing in the skies. Uh, some mistake them for like, uh, you know, flyer, fireflies in the summer and stuff like that. Like, oh, no, yeah. those are a little too big to be fireflies. And they so like spook lights. Yes. Basically. Yeah, basically. And okay. um uh, the other is um, domed objects, just like large domes. And that's going to uh, play a heavy part in one of the, the in the main case in, in all of this. Um, uh, so March 2nd uh, in Hunker, two witnesses observed a dome shaped object on the ground. There were lights strobing off and on and. As the lights strobed, uh, their car radio went on and off, which is interesting. Um, yeah. There's one sighting of a dome-shaped object that featured an odd component to it, smell. Which, yeah. with Bigfoot, there's the yeah. smell. Um, on March 16th, the anonymous witness was up early and went outside to retrieve something from their car. And it was when a strange odor kind of smacked him in the nostrils. Um, and it was an odor he didn't really recognize, but he looked up at the woods and he saw five dome-shaped objects, and they were hovering just about 50 feet in the air. Luminous, uh, appeared to have windows on them. And during his observation, the witness noted uh, how there was kind of like a lead object, and uh, the others would follow in a straight line behind it. So... Mm. Uh, like he, flying in formation. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, yeah. So he observed these objects until they tilted slightly and ascended upward. Um, March 28th, a couple woke up early that morning to an unusual sound. And it was around 1.30 a.m. that they looked out at a strange object on the ground in a field. It changed shape amid a show of lights Um and colors they didn't really describe what it changed shape to which is frustrating but like yeah um they noticed kind of like figures that were kind of thin and stick-like moving about inside the silhouettes of them and they looked as if they were kind of bending over a little bit which is i feel like bigfoot is bending over a lot in a, a lot of different yeah. accounts it's weird yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's very common. Yeah. So the couple eventually phones the police, but uh, just before they arrived, the lights went out and the object disappeared. And then the same county, five days later, 25 residents, including three police officers, saw an object that was multicolored hovering over Kutztown uh, before it eventually vanished. So the inaugural U Bigfoot UFO flap 
it starts on July 31st. And here's an account from um, Gordon's and Buffon presentation here. Quote, our investigation into this conglomerate of mystery began one warm July afternoon. The young woman called me on the phone and stated that she was reluctant to report this incident, but felt that she had to for her stepfather's sake. She related how one night recently her stepfather was shaving late. All of a sudden, he began to sneeze heavily from a strong stench of what was described as rotten cucumber. (laughs) (laughs) That's so oddly specific. Yeah. He turned around and was shocked to see two large glowing red eyes staring at him through the window. He immediately slammed the window shut and in his excitement knocked over some jars on the sink. He ran into the living room to tell his family about what had occurred, and they also smelled the odor. The window, we found upon examination, was over eight feet off the ground, and what baffled the family was the fact that their dogs didn't bark at all during the time the incident occurred, nor for the rest of the night. That was quite unusual, since their dogs will bark at anything strange or bark at any stranger. The witness had a previous heart problem, and the following day was taken to the hospital by ambulance for what appears to have been another seizure brought on by the incident the night before, end quote. Wow. So, yeah. That's... First off, the face through the window thing Mm -hmm. freaks me out instantly. Yes. That's, like, one of my biggest fears back from childhood is the, like, the face through the window at night right that yeah. that always that always gets me but um it stopped their dogs from barking all night long i think that might be like a public service honestly <laughs> <laughs> like i need to hire a bigfoot to hang out outside my place when i'm recording yeah like can you go into the woods and be like do you take money paypal like right venmo yeah how do we do this yeah like <laughs> I, I just, I need some peace while we do this, you yeah, know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Gordon interviewed the witness the day he found out and found others who had seen a tall gorilla-like creature walking on two legs in the woods, not far from this home. So um, during his investigation of the media area, Gordon found three-toed footprints uh, measuring 13 inches by 8 inches uh, in the wooded area near the house and noticed that some of the tall grass had been tamped down, which is kind of normal for Bigfoot yeah. activity. In early August, additional eyewitnesses in surrounding counties reported seeing gorilla-like creatures with red eyes staring into their homes. A police officer near New Stanton observed a pair of glowing red eyes near a trailer that he assumed to be reflectors, but were in fact half-dollar-sized eyes attached to an eight-foot-tall hulking being. Jesus. Mm. Okay. (laughs) That's... It's so intimidating. Yes. Like, just the size... It's always seen at night. I mean, this is is a perfect story for, for spooky season. It re- it is there's yeah. uh, there's a lot of yeah. eeriness to these stories um, for sure. UFO reports were still prevalent around this time uh, near the Greensburg Country Golf Club. A woman and her child spotted a large object 
uh, as uh, large as a family-sized car with a flat bottom, and there were windows and lights on the inside. An hourglass, an hourglass-shaped object was seen over power lines in Harrison City on August fourth, um, and that same evening, an object was seen in New Alexandria dropping fiery debris down. And and what's interesting is that during this time period, seventy two, seventy three, uh, they were the Gordon reports that there are a lot of um, UFOs that seem to be dropping down um, uh, like bits of metal that look like um, he, he describes it as like radar chaff, only um, resembling kind of like loose strands of hair. So yeah, like the the angel hair, a little bit, but um, it's not exactly like this. A little bit different because it's uh, angel hair. I don't think was, I don't know if it was metallic in this way, but it was like uh, they did test yeah. it, and a lot of it was uh, aluminum uh, was yeah. the primary component. Okay. But uh, yeah, there was a lot of that going on um, August fourteenth in Greensburg, and Greensburg seems to play a big part in a lot of these ufo bigfoot things um especially in 72 which we'll get into you know get into next week um there were two sightings of a bigfoot creature in broad daylight the first occurred around 1 p.m on a lake near greengate mall a ufo had been reported over this lake three months earlier on may 11th 45 minutes after the first sighting, two men were walking on some railroad tracks over the hill from the lake uh, when they heard something large moving through the woods, and they were startled to see a tall creature running across the tracks in front of them. The witnesses detected a foul odor and saw the creature drop down on all fours at one point as it continued into the brush, which is terrible. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I just keep, like, I just keep thinking i'm just really thankful that the that creatures this size that these sightings weren't taking place in south america oh yeah it's like you know they have the hyper violence but they're all the creatures are little so imagine like that kind of attitude on a you know on one of these eight foot Mm. guys that man Mm. but yeah dropping down on all fours and just kind of crashing through the brush yeah that's that's pretty scary. Yeah, I'm I'm freaked out thinking about it. Um, yeah, there were UFOs spotted uh, in Monroeville that same night, um, August twenty first, two thirty a.m. A woman in Derry had left her window open that night because of the humidity. Which, hey, you know that's it's totally valid. I totally get that. Apparently, she hadn't been talking to her neighbors. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> like- apparently. Um, yeah, she woke suddenly, feeling as if someone was watching her. Turning over, she saw a face staring at her from the open window, which was over <laughs> nine feet off the ground. This Bigfoot had pulled back the drapes to look at her, and from her angle, she could only see its piercing red eyes down to its nose. Dude, you're freaking me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The creature only moved when she did, making an awkward movement backwards, as if trying to keep an eye on her while doing so. So we have the Bigfoot perv here. Just likes to watch people while it sleeps. What makes it even creepier is the creature went around to the window of her 14-year-old daughter and looked in on her. 
and oh. she quickly ran into her mother's uh, bedroom. And for due to, for two days following this encounter, there was a rotten meat smell outside their home. Man, that's that one's interesting because mm-hmm. it's weird behavior to begin with. Yeah. Right. And then you have the corroboration between the mother and the daughter. They both experienced it. Yep. Um, and then the left that leftover smell. <laughs> yeah. Like that smell has to ruin any anything you're going to eat for the next two days. Yeah. There, yeah. There's no getting around that. Because, I mean, people say rotting meat, but we all know what that means. It smells like death. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Right. That, I mean, that's that's the smell of death. So, that, ugh. Mm-hmm. Creeping me out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and what I come to respect here about these cases is that Stan Gordon, uh, the Westmoreland county ufo study group they're kind of johnny on the spot here they call they're they're called by police departments they show up they they do their investigations um and while investigating a case on the 24th there's a report that comes in from hermine of a bigfoot type creature seen in a man's garden and you know gordon and company they're they're out investigating this case they receive another call from the Derry Police Department requesting a team of investigators to a trailer court. A woman and her son had heard scratching on the back of their trailer and they heard the sound of a baby crying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their dog was barking like mad in the backyard when their lights suddenly went out. And opening the back door, they were confronted by a large ape-like creature with long arms. The woman screamed and the Bigfoot ran between the trailers to get away. The neighbors, some of the neighbors were able to see this creature just fleeing. And the reason the power went out, according to Stan Gordon, is that the electrical box had been ripped open and the main line going into the trailer had been pulled aside. Okay. Yeah. Um... Just to the one trailer? Just to the one trailer. Which is like oh. oddly pre... It, it, it's odd. Like how yeah. would the Bigfoot know about that? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's weird. It's like calculated. Yes. Right? That's... Yeah. Which makes it even creepier. Makes it super creepy. And the like... I mean, you have like almost every horror scene motif going on here. Like mm-hmm. the power going off, the scratching on the walls, the baby crying, like, man, that, yeah. Yeah. Just, that's a story. That is a story. Um, <laughs> this is a, this is a story here too. September 1st, a woman and her baby were visiting Youngstown Cemetery. Uh, she kind of lost track of her baby for a second and started to walk towards the woods. And before long, this foul odor starts to permeate the area and the woman turned to find her baby. Uh, and that she know, uh, and that was when she noticed that there was a Bigfoot type creature emerging from the woods, walking directly towards her baby. She ran to her baby, drove immediately to her father's house and phoned the police. And according to the report, a Bigfoot creature showed up there too, witnessed by several neighbors. 
So whatever it was, this baby, this Bigfoot was interested uh, in that baby. Oh, like chased them. Mm-hmm. Or there were multiple of them. Right. And and that's the right? thing is like where these Bigfoot type creatures seem to show up in more than one place. You know, whether it's that story mm-hmm. of the Bigfoot stop in that car on the side of the road. It's like when they yeah. pop up more than once, that's just. Uh, yeah. I mean. I'm just going to say the thing that pisses off probably flesh and blood Bigfoot people more than any other single word, which is portal. (laughs) Right. Like, did this Bigfoot, like, they hop in their car and they're like, the Bigfoot's like, well, I know where they're going. And just slips through a portal and stand there waiting on them when they get to her dad's house. Yep. Yeah. Weird. Very weird. I wonder how far away the dad's house was. I think it was a couple of miles. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, and, and things are about to get much, much weirder. So the culminating of... <laughs> awesome. Lay yeah, it the, on me. Yeah, the culminating event um, occurs on October 25th, 1973, shortly after 9 p.m. Uh a bright red UFO was seen in the skies near Uniontown, Pennsylvania, just southeast of Pittsburgh. Among the many witnesses that evening was George Kowalczyk, a 21-year-old who worked on the family farm with his parents and nine siblings. Uh, and it was he who had... Uh, he, he was the closest witness to the UFO itself. Uh, George and his wife and some visitors to the house watched this object descend into their backyard. George goes out to investigate the slate with two 10-year-old boys from the neighborhood. He's armed with a 30-06. They get into his truck and they uh, drive on out there. And um, they watch, they continue to watch it as it descends into this field. And as the object nears about 100 feet from the ground, the headlights on George's truck just go out and the engine dies. And it took some time um, as it was continuing to descend to locate it. But they came upon an object that was uh, that, quote, was dome shaped, just like a big bubble. It was making a sound like a lawnmower. Um, And there were other sounds, too, uh, similar to the sound of a baby crying. Ah, babies. They moved in closer, and before long, the two boys cried out. Walking along a nearby fence were two silhouettes. Uh, George had a hard time seeing them because he didn't have his glasses on. But he grabbed his rifle, and he fired a warning shot in their general direction. And these silhouettes were tall, close to about eight feet tall, Um while the second figure that was there, there were two of them, was kind of slightly shorter, closer to, to about seven feet. Uh, both creatures were humanoid, covered in long, dark gray hair with greenish-yellow eyes that produced a distinct eye shine. Their arms were unnaturally long, uh, nearly reaching to the ground, the way that they described wow. it. Um, the large Craft and monster style. Yeah. Very monster-ish. And the larger of the two creatures was kind of moving naturally, though, taking very long strides. The smaller one was um, 
taking unnaturally long strides too, which is like the odd thing about it. Uh, but he was struggling to keep up that, that one foot of difference just, you know, um, but, uh, these beings, you know, just straight up ignored the warning shot. Uh, the larger creature appeared to be using the fence as guidance, uh, placing its left hand on it as it walked. And, uh, you know, just followed closer behind by the smaller creature. And as they moved along the fence, George could hear that the whining sounds that they were hearing were coming from the creatures and not the UFO. Uh, okay. And he got the impression that they were communicating back and forth. So George notices that the creatures also had a strange odor, but it was like burning rubber. Okay. And George fires a second warning shot. And they still don't respond. So George changes up the tactic because they're coming in their direction. Yeah. He changes the ammunition and he fires directly at that eight foot tall one. Missed with the first, <laughs> hit with the second. And when the bullet struck it and made an unusual sound, like a stone being dropped in water. Oh. I, was, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a that's l- so bizarre there's a lot of that in this in this one just like a lot of it um also i have to say i love little details like the fact that it was mm-hmm. it was sort of floating its hand along the fence as guidance yep. you know um that that always sells a story for me mm-hmm. little details like that like that are totally unnecessary you yeah. know but they just really set the scene yeah this story is full of a lot of details just like a lot of details um yeah and when he did hit the creature um it began to whine lifted up its hand raised it in the direction of the smaller creature and the ufo disappeared and then the whining noise just kind of ceased after that the creatures then turned back and headed in the direction Uh, the ufo had been and george noticed that there was a residual glow left by the ufo after the light went out and okay once the craft disappeared both george and the remaining boy uh because one of them had fled after he heard the the sound that it made (laughs) when he hit it with the bullet uh they started to experience kind of eye irritation which is you know kind of normal in ufo cases yep uh george eventually returned to the site with a state police officer. He went back to the house, called them and, um, they go out there, they investigate, they hear some moving through the trees and they notice like the illumination, the residual illumination is kind of getting dimmer and dimmer. Uh, nothing really major happens, but they do find a sap, a separate area that, uh, that is different from the first that has this, it's circular and it, it's glowing. It has a residual okay. glow to it. And they entered the original circle and they noticed that the air was warmer inside, which is interesting. It's it's October in uh, Pennsylvania, so it's chillier at night. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and when George interesting. asked the, the, the trooper to investigate the second circle, the trooper stated, I don't get paid for being brave. I'm not going any further. Yeah. <laughs> dude fair enough yeah fair enough yeah so they played this cat and mouse game with something that seemed as if it was going to come uh out through the woods um until 
the uh, state trooper finally got in his car and he kind of gunned it back. Um, they end up going back to the house. They call Stan Gordon and the Westmoreland County UFO group, a study group at about 1030. They arrive uh, 1245 a.m. And they start to uh, interview the witnesses. And then um, about eh, about 45 minutes later, they get out into the field and they start investigating. Suddenly, when they're out there, it's after 1.30 a.m., a bull on the far side of the field just starts acting up. And then the dogs start to growl. And there's something in the woods at the far end. And this is where George starts acting real strange. He's sweating, rubbing his head and his face, and he's pacing, looking as if he's about to pass out. And then he started to get violent knocking his father and investigator George Lutz to the ground. And one of the dogs looked as if it was going to attack George, but instead George lunged at the dog and it ran away. So <laughs> eventually George collapses headfirst. It seemed as if, uh, you know, whatever was possessing him, whatever force was behind it just kind of left him. There was a strong odor of sulfur in the air now and mm. as they were moving back to their vehicles george suddenly cried out keep away from the corner it's in the corner and then mumbled about how he would protect the group he claimed to see a man in a black coat and a hat carrying a sickle but no one could see what he was describing so oh. he's seeing the grim reaper <laughs> here i guess but yeah um um george yeah man this is a weird one yeah it's a very very weird one so george then turned to his father and said if man doesn't straighten up the end of the world will come soon there is a man here now who can save the world george could hear his own name being called from inside the woods beckoning him to go and at that he collapsed uh completely knocking his glasses off his face after a short time, he stood back up and his father handed his glasses back to him. George asked uh, whose they were. When Stan Gordon asked George if he could see okay without the glasses, George responded, just fine. Dude, that is bizarre. Yep. That's... So you have Bigfoot, UFOs, and Possession. Mm-hmm. All wrapped up into one case. Mm -hmm. And a miracle eyesight cure. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to think about that one for a long time. Right. <laughs> I'm not like, going to have a choice. Right. Like, uh, it is, it's beyond the scope of, like, any, like, most cases that you read about, most cases that... Uh, like there's nothing that really compares to a case like this. Yeah. Nothing. And that's where we're going to leave you on this one, folks. Oh man. <laughs> that's, I, I will tell you that last story is going to be with me for a long time. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, th I'm thankful to have heard it. Cause that's man. I love that stuff. The stranger, the better. Yes. And that's that's right up there. That is that is the the strangest, 
the strangest story that uh, that we can tell for you folks here this evening. And uh, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, where can people stay updated on Campfire and everything that you got going on? Oh, man, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. So many cool cases. I and somebody I hadn't heard of, which was awesome. I yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, you can find the podcast Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling on any and all podcatchers. So basically, wherever you're listening to this, you can find us. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at campfire.tales.podcast, on TikTok at campfire.podcast. We also offer a total of 10 bonus episodes a month over on Patreon. It's so insane. So that's at Patreon. <laughs> yeah, patreon.com slash campfire, tales of the strange and unsettling. Um, it'll take you longer to type the URL than it will to choose the tier you want. But <laughs> yeah, it'll, it's good. I also um, personally, I write a monthly column for Paranormality Magazine. Mm -hmm. So whether you like your magazines digital or physical, you can find that at paranormalitymag.com. And I suggest you all go listen to the pod because it is absolutely fantastic. It's it's wonderful. Um, and Thank you. Yeah. And uh, for us, uh, if you want to find links to anything, social media, uh, Patreon, all that stuff, ourstrangeguys.com, it's the one-stop shop that you, that you need for everything related to this podcast. Uh Special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this podcast. Spencerworth Davis is the man behind the curtain for us. Uh, he does so much. Megan Lagerberg is behind our logo. And Desdemona is behind our many t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or on a beach in Erie, Pennsylvania. In gray, <laughs> we trust. Media.